It's time. Time to power up. Power up. Autobots, roll out. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers where we have the wonderful esteemed guest of R.A. Salvatore. If you haven't heard of him before, I don't know why. Uh, Dark Elf series, Dritz, uh, Demon Wars, uh, Sword of Bedwar. There's so many, so many books out there. So thanks for taking some time out of your day to come on the show to talk about your new books. Always good to be here. So, there's two books I want to talk about. Uh, the first being... Child of a Mad God, which is out there available now, and then a little bit later we'll talk about Timeless. Uh, but let's start with Child of a Mad God. So, what is the book about? Well, this is actually oh, several questions. Sorry. Uh, it, yeah, we'll, we'll break it down. Uh, um, it is in the world of Corona, so the Demon Wars series. Yep. Where in the timeline? Does this fit with the, you know, we have Highwayman and Demon Wars, and where in the world? Because, I mean, we have Hans the Bear, uh, you know, depending on the timeline, is this another realm, or is it somewhere in Hans the Bear? It's not in Hans the Bear. Hans the Bear is a kingdom. Okay. Not a continent. Yeah. Sorry. So, basically, you've got the Highwayman series takes place about 100 years after the founding of the church. Okay. We're hundreds of years later when Demon Wars starts with the Demon Awakens. Yeah. That's a seven-book series. The Coven starts alongside the last part of Immortalis, which is the last book in the Demon Wars series. Yeah. It takes place in an entirely different part of the world, far west okay. of, of where all the events of Demon Wars takes place. There are people from Haunts the Bear... In the book. It's the same continent. Okay. It's not part of the kingdom. It's beyond the wilderness. Okay. So, it's picking up right, well, towards the end and after. Um, now, the question comes to mind. Um, is it, because it is kind of a different portion of the continent... And I know the magic system here is unique because of the gemstones. Do they still use gemstones, or is it a different type of magic? Because I know there there's, is... There's gemstones, but they use them differently. Oh, okay. Differently, and completely. Yeah, I, can't, I don't want to get into too much detail and spoil it, but the mechanics of the system, if you will, are the same. Okay. But the associations they make with it, the way they use them, how they get them, it's all very different. Okay. It's a different part of the same thing. Nice. You know, if somebody asked me right now, which book should I read in Demon Wars? I haven't read any. I'd tell them, start with Child of a Mad God. Okay. Because I think they'll love it. And you don't have to have read anything before. Nice. 
So it's a separate storyline, and if you read the other stuff, that just adds more flavor. Yeah, a little bit, and it may wind back to tie in. In fact, it will wind back and tie in with some of the other books eventually. But again, you won't have to have read them. Okay. I'm hoping you'll read this and you'll want to read them, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Now, um, the main character uh, is a witch. Yes, she is. Uh, you know, reading the previous stories in that, it you know we've we've had monks, we've had rangers, we've had elves, uh, you know, demons. Uh, now we have hey, a witch. Yeah, what's the title? Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, why? As with, as with the monks in Hans the Bear, who used the gemstones, calling it the voice of God. Yeah. The tribe, the Uskai tribe, who have this available gemstones to use that gives them a huge advantage over mm-hmm. their neighbors, um, consider the magic of the gemstones godly. Okay. And the coven, the name of the series is the coven, are the 13 witches who use those gemstones the most. They are the... The kind of holy in the Oscar eyes, demonic in the eyes of the Oscar neighbors, power wielders of the magic. Okay. Nice. Which they attribute to their god Oscar. Okay. So where did the idea for this story come from? Because it is a little different than what we've already seen in Corona. Uh, several different places. Okay. Uh, one was a physical place. I went to a, I went on a vacation with my daughter and my son-in-law and my wife, and we went to this place, and I looked down from this mountain and saw this scene before me and said, I wonder what it would be like. And that's usually how things start. Yeah. So I came up with the idea for the, the lake and the, the, the tribes and the mountain tribe and how they would survive and the whole thing. And then the inspiration for the main character... Alan is actually from uh, the show The Tudors. Okay. And the portrayal of Anne Boleyn by Natalie Bowman. Excuse me, man. I got to get rid of that dog. Yeah, you're fine. home with her French bulldog. My three <laughs> Japanese chins do not know what to make of this thing. Yeah, it's okay. I, I, my blue healer barks like nonstop. It's like she sees a bird and then she'll bark and bark and bark and then won't stop. It's, it's a, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, he's out. The door is closed behind him. <laughs> yeah. So, so Natalie, um, Natalie Dormer. Dormer. Yeah. And the Tudors and I love the portrayal. And Anne Boleyn's one of my favorite characters in history, and that's where I got the idea for the personality of okay. Alan. Nice. And uh, so it, these things always come from a myriad of places, you know, the inspiration I see, the music I hear, the people I meet, whatever. But I think it was the physical beauty of the place I was at, and then just it all started taking shape. And when I have new books I want to write, instead of creating a new world, if I'm writing fantasy, basically high fantasy books, yeah. standard high fantasy books, why would I create a new world? I've got one. Yeah. It's got everything I want in it, and I love it. So I just go back to Demon Wars. Nice. 
No, it's a great setting. And, you know, like, traveling here around Utah, there's tons of amazing places you look, and it's like, wow, that would be amazing to put in a book, or that's looks alien, especially down in southern Utah with Goblin Valley and stuff like that. So I could see how going on a hike and looking into a valley would stimulate that creative process. Yep, and if I told you where it was, you'd know the place, although it's not in Utah, but I okay. won't tell you. That's fine. See if you can figure it out. All right. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a hint. The name of the lake means big lake. Okay. I think I. In the book and in where I was. Okay. <laughs> there we go. So, for those of you that want to try to find this out, there's a hint. Now, um, because you brought that up, uh, with Corona being that world that you made, is it more enjoyable to write in that world of your creation, unlike playing in Forgotten Realms in Ed's sandbox? It's The process is the same. Okay. For, for the stories, the characters, and all of that. However, um, there's, there's two big differences. When I write in Ed's sandbox... I'm writing with characters I've known for 30 years. Yeah. So that makes it a little different experience. It's almost like visiting old friends as opposed to trying to make new ones. Yeah. Um, but when I write in Corona, if I want to blow up a city, I can blow up a city. I'm not limited by what's going on by other licensees or by the company. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. And that freedom is fun because I do some pretty dramatic things in the Corona books. I always have and I always will. I mean, the yeah. Highwayman series was a pretty dramatic shift from the four books, from the beginning of the Highwayman to the end of the Bear. That world is very different. Yes. And it's, it's true of Demon Wars, both trilogies with the bridge book Mortalis, all seven of those books. If you go back and look at the world when Demon Awakens started and look at the world at the end, there's a lot of the same issues and a lot of the same problems, but it's a very different world. Yeah. A very different understanding of things. Yeah, I mean, and make bigger. I can make bigger societal ge and geographical leaps in my own world than I can in the realms. Yeah. So I mean, with the realms, you have to kind of, you know, like you said, if you want to make a change, you have to go do the fact check and see if it's okay and stuff like that, right? Well, yeah, but I wouldn't even think to make like I would never I would never burn down Waterdeep. Yeah. Unless they told me burn down Waterdeep. Okay. I mean I was really happy when I wrote Gauntelgrim because they were coming out with a new Neverwinter game and they said, Hey, can you destroy Neverwinter for us? <laughs> I said, destroy it? They go, Yeah, can you said, Oh good, I got a volcano I'd like to use. Yep. Okay, yeah. I can do it. And you and wipe it out. That, I mean that that's but they have to come to me for that. I okay. would never go to Wizards and say, you know, I wanna I wanna destroy Waterdeep. Yeah. First of all, I'd be disrespectful to Ed. It's his world. Yeah. And second of all, they'd laugh at me and tell me, don't you dare. <laughs> but hey, in Corona, you could wipe out an entire nation or whatever. Yeah. I have, and I will again. Yes. So, with your main character, uh, since you mentioned she's your favorite, do we see a dramatic story arc with her as the book ends leading into the second one? Because this is a trilogy, or is it more of a subtle uh, character build or arc for her? Um, I would liken it to Dritz and Homeland. Okay. That, that's a pretty you know, big one. It's someone growing up under the weight of traditions that to that person, traditions which to that person seem wrong. Okay. Having the guts to stand against them. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I would I would liken it to Homeland. In fact, I don't want to say Homeland was my template for it, but I was trying to accomplish a very similar thing with different problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did notice that. I did notice that it's kind of a more, I wouldn't say evil society, but definitely more on the darker side. And she is kind of like Dritz, where it's like questioning that and trying to rise yeah, above. I mean, and another, I think another inspiration for this whole this whole journey on the coven was the the, the Vikings, the okay. show, yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. I mean, I'm watching a show and I'm rooting for people who are murderers and rapists. Yep. How'd that happen? Great writing. But everyone watching the show will say, oh yeah, you're right. Um, you know, you like Ragnar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and but he's a dirtbag. <laughs> I, I agree. But you excuse it because that's a cultural thing. Yeah. But you shouldn't excuse it because it's a cultural thing. And it gets very complicated inside each person when they try to sort things like that out. But every now and then somebody comes along and just cuts right through the bull and says, no, what are you talking about? He's a dirtbag. Yeah. And so I think Vikings had an effect on this too, which is why I'm, it's kind of funny to me how people have been like, this book is too brutal. I can't read it. I'm going to go watch Vikings. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're watching the same thing. Um, so, because there are heavier themes uh, in this book, I mean, how did you go about doing that without, like, going overboard? I mean, you kind of seem to have this delicate balance of where it's not too much, but it's enough to get your point across. Yeah, it's it's always tough to figure out where you want to draw the curtain because you if you draw the curtain too soon, you've kind of – you're not telling the reader how bad it really is. Yeah. But if you, if you draw the curtain too late, you're you're kind of reveling in stuff that really is just foul. Yeah, you're talking about this kind of activity. So it, I don't know. It's just instinctual, and it's it's like how much do I want? I don't want to be purient about it, but at the same time, I don't want to be. I don't want to be too vague. Yeah. So it's funny to me because. I wrote this book before the the whole change that we've now going through in America. Yeah. With Me Too and all that. And it some of the reaction to it has been has been very informative to me. Okay. It's also sometimes it's like, no, that's not the truth, but whatever. Yeah. Where you're coming from. Um because there really a lot of the stuff that goes on in this book that now would have a spotlight on it is some of the stuff that the same stuff that I was writing in the nineties in the Demon Awakens yeah. when Pony gets married, for example. Um, not only that, but I don't think that a lot of I think a lot of people today this is um, this isn't meant as an insult, but I think a lot of people today really do not get the context of history. They really do not get how different the world was when I was a kid. Yeah. What it is now. Well, no, uh, it definitely is. I mean, just even going back 100 years, I mean, you can see how vastly different we are now than years. from there. Oh. Yeah. Uh, go, back, go back nine years and watch a movie called The Ugly Truth with Katherine Heigl. Oh, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Okay, uh, so 
what's his name? Who's the who's the the guy in that? I keep forgetting his name. Oh, man. Is it Gerard Bardot? I think I, is, Gerard Butler. Is, hold on. Butler. Yeah, it's, uh, Gerard, it's Butler. Gerard. Yeah. Yeah. He slaps her ass at work. Mm-hmm. He's a complete pig. Yeah. And he gets the girl. Yeah. Um, trying to make that movie now, and that movie, by the way, was written and directed by women. Huh. I didn't know the that. World, the world was different. Yeah. The it, was different. Go back and watch some old Friends episodes and cringe. Yeah. No, I, it definitely has. I mean, you can just TV shows or even movies. You definitely see the. By difference. the way, that's a. Good, it's a good thing that the world is different. Yeah. It's a good thing we're growing up. Um, I was I was reading this thing. Some mag I figured magazine website whatever was doing this big thing about racism and fantasy. And they gave me a little bit of credit, kind of a left-handed compliment, and said at least I was talking about this stuff. You know, I've gotten better over the years on it. And what I really want them to understand is when I started writing the Dark Elf books, at that time, by the way, they were called Black Elves. Yeah. Up at TSR, not Dark Elves. Hmm. When I started writing those books, who else was talking about it? There were a few authors, but very, very few. Yeah. Especially in the genre. So you have to understand that this awakening, awakening is an evolutionary process, a societal evolutionary process. It's not, I was born this year, ergo, I am better. It's it's a process that is handed down generation to generation to generation. I mean, for crying out loud, gay marriage wasn't even legal anywhere in this country until 2005. Yeah, when the Massachusetts Supreme Court, true blue Massachusetts Supreme Court, said you can't discriminate. And in Massachusetts at that time, more than 70 percent of the people of Massachusetts were against that ruling, and people immediately started signing up for state government. I mean, for signing up, yeah, people st- jumped in the races for state government on the platform of rewriting Massachusetts Constitution to make gay marriage illegal. In Massachusetts. Huh. That was 2005. Yeah. So the pace at which we've come forward, if you will, is is really staggering when you think about it. Yeah, it, it is. And I think. In the last year, the whole change with the, with the with the probably thirty five centuries over to Me Too movement uh, has been amazing. Yeah. Just as just as a cultural societal observer, which is what I am, which is what a writer is, it's been amazing to watch these last few years. Yeah, I'm sure. Even... I'm not saying good or bad. It's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, now, I'm sure even sociologists are just like sitting and watching and fascinating over all the changes um which i think even writers are to a, to an extent are sociologists i mean we're people watchers and culture it's exactly. um, it's exactly. yeah so and it is amazing and you know as you've said i mean things have slowly changed and improved but even we see that in writing and we're seeing that constantly sometimes we've seen it decades or years ago and it's just now catching up i i society is I, I guess and I think that's one of the reasons why you have to have those old TV shows those old movies those old books yeah. because you have to be able to look back and get the context of the times yeah 
you can't just look back at what somebody said or did in 1985. You have to look at the context around that action. Yeah. And it was just a very different world. Yeah. A no. very different world. Yeah, I mean, even going back and watching like old black and white movies or movies from the 50s and that, you know, the woman is the damsel in distress and the guy is the hero and, you know, if she starts freaking out, he just smacks her right across the face and says, nope, straighten up. And, uh, oh, yeah. That oh, would yeah. never fly now <laughs> in any way. It should have flown then. Yeah. Never would. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean. So when I've, when I've written this, when I wrote this book and it's been out there and I, it's, been, it's been a wonderful process for me watching the reactions to it. Sometimes it's painful, but always yeah. wonderful. Watching the reactions to it, seeing the the relevance of the book, because Alan isn't just a female lead. Alan kicks ass. Yeah. And takes no prisoners. She's she's not a damsel in distress, certainly. Yeah. Nor is she a chicken chain mill. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the things I have to say has been really great about your female characters. I mean, even Caddy Bree was a very strong character. At first, mm-hmm. it seemed like she was maybe timid and weak, but as the books came out, she became a very strong character so much that, I mean, she was kind of Dritz's anchor in some ways. Yeah, but see, I wouldn't call her timid and weak. I think what you saw in the early books with Caddy Bree, quite honestly... Being brutally honest here is I didn't know who she was. Okay. She wasn't in the original draft of The Crystal Shark. Oh. And my editor, who was a woman named Mary Kirchhoff, yelled at me because there were no really named female characters of any consequence in the book. Okay. But that was me. That yeah. was my upbringing. It's a frontier town. It's, it's brave men, right? That yeah. was my upbringing. So I thank Mary... And so many other women in my life, my wife, my daughter, my sisters, I have five older sisters, for kind of retraining me to see my own blind spot. And it was a huge one. It was so big, there was no named woman in the book. None of the, there were four people that were the main heroes in the book and the villains were all either demons or, you know, Goblins or Dritz, Bruno, Regis, and Wolfgar. Yeah. And the only woman in the book was Guinevere. Okay, mm. the pan. Yeah. yeah. And Mary fixed, set me straight on that, and I learned a lot. And so you see, I think you see, if you look at the evolution of Caddy Bree, which you're also looking at as the evolution of the writer understanding this character who got put in the book in a fast rewrite. Gotcha. Okay. No, I mean, that's interesting, but at the same time, your inexperience came into play. Your editor said, hey, we need to put this character in, and then that character became something powerful. Yep. And then you have Pony in Demon Wars, yeah. which is seven. Yeah. Love her. Amazing character. I, I really love that character as well. So, um, yeah. So, this is a three-book series. Yep. So, there'll be two more after this. Maybe more, depending on what you decide. There'll be more that. in the world. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more in the world. I don't know if it'll be with these characters or if it'll be at different times. The beauty of having that world is, like, I wrote the Demon Wars books, then I went back, what, eight centuries or whatever, and did the Highwayman books. Yeah. So I can jump all over and tell stories in this world. And it's, it's like writing about our world, except I have certain, uh, I have magic, I have gemstones, and yeah. there are other entities that aren't human. Yeah. 
that are available. So, I mean, maybe my next trilogy will be about poweries on the weathered isles or something. That maybe would be I'll see, awesome. Yeah, maybe I'll see something that will inspire me to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I would like to see more about the bloody cabs. You know, there's yeah, there seems to be some history there. And or maybe I'll tell the story of the tool alpha and the dock alpha. I don't know. Yeah. The thing is, I have the freedom to do that. You know, in. Yeah. in one of the other things was a condition for my last few contracts with Wizards. In fact, a lot of the, probably most of the Dreads books was that they want to keep moving forward. Yeah. Because they're moving forward with all their other projects. So they, meanwhile, I've got stories I wanted to tell, like Jal Axel and Zachnafane. Yeah. I wanted to tell that story, but I couldn't because they wanted to go forward. They wanted to go forward. Now I'm getting a little more freedom to do that. But in Demon Wars, I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can make up new characters. I can change the history of the world. I can change the future of the world. Yeah. And so it's basically it's like writing in our, writing fictional stories set in our world, but we have magic and we have elves and we have dwarves and we have fun things. Nice. So since you brought up Zach Devane and Jarlaxle on that, uh, with Timeless, it's coming out in September, we're yeah. getting that story, right? You're getting, you're getting a good part of it, yeah. Um, Timeless, what I did is I, I knew that there were, I had two jobs in Timeless. The first was to the people who ended with Hero, there were a lot of people saying, you can't end it there. I know, I was one of them. <laughs> and, and so I had to give them a reason to get back into it. Yeah. Um, and I also really wanted to explore the relationship of Jarl Axel and Zachnafame because that's going to resonate now in the, in the modern day realms. Yeah. What happened back then matters again for a very obvious reason without ruining hero. I'll say for a very obvious reason. So what I did is I wrote the book and it's, it's really, it's, four parts and parts one and three go back and they tell the story of Jarl Axel and Zachnafane. Okay. How they met and became friends. And then parts two and four come forward and kind of echo. You hear the echoes of the past and parts two and four is I'm telling what's happening now with all these, this demon invasion, if you will, of, of, um, Thornhold and, and charging in on, uh, bleeding vines and and the Sword Coast basically under siege by yeah. these that were loosed by the necklaces the Drow were giving people. Um, so, and in the second book, which I'm working on now, I'll be doing pretty much the same thing. So we can un- see both those stories unfolding, and I'm relating I'm relating them together because there's always that old saying how um, you know history may not repeat itself but it sure rhymes. Yeah. Right. The Mark Twain saying. Yeah. And it's the truth. And so who you're going to see, the relationship you're going to see with Jarl Axel and his friend now has the consequences, the, the, is the result of the relationship of Jarl Axel and his friend then. Okay. Nice. So. So I, I did notice, and I don't know if you can speak on it, but I noticed this isn't being put out by Wizards. It's being put out by HarperCollins. Uh, that's... Seems strange, but um, I mean, how did that come about? Because uh, Wizards owns the licensing, as far as I know. Well, Wizards of the Coast decided they weren't going to be doing books or Realms books a couple of years ago. Okay. They they didn't really announce it, but it, it was out there. Everyone knew it. They weren't denying it. And I knew that 
Well, we knew a few things. We knew that um, the people still wanted to read the Dritz books. Yeah. Still doing really well. The backlist was still doing really well. The audio books are doing incredibly well. And I still wanted to write them. So with my agent, we approached Wizards and we said, look, uh, I'd really like to keep doing this. Can we make some kind of a deal that will be beneficial to everybody involved? Yeah. And it's really about all I can say, except that the people at Wizards were incredible, um, incredibly helpful, incredibly generous about it with me and my time and my concerns. Uh, we, you know, we're more than colleagues. I worked with some of these people for 20 years. Yeah. Well, we're friends. I have a lot of friends up there and great relationships. And they came through and they, they helped me out. They, they helped me get this done. And the people at HarperCollins were thrilled and excited. And, and they, they, they're showing me with all the stuff they're doing with the marketing and, you know, the foreign rights and everything else they're doing with it. They're showing me that they really want this to, to bring it to a whole new level. Nice. Which will benefit everybody. Yeah. So we worked it out. It, it took seven months. It took um, a ton of patience on everybody's part, including mine. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of um, lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Lot of lawyers, but not, but not contentiously. Yeah. It was lawyer. We had three sets of lawyers, each protecting each other. They needed. Yeah. For their companies, you know. So my 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 lawyers, Wizards lawyers, HarperCollins lawyers, and it took patience and a lot of hard work, and we got it done. That's amazing. I'm psyched because I'm working with a fantastic editor over at HarperCollins, a guy named David Pomerico. I've wanted to work with him for a long time. He was trained by one of my favorite editors, Shelley Shapiro, over at Del Rey. He's a fantastic guy, great eye. I'm really lucky. I, I've been lucky with editors so many times over the years, starting with Mary and Eric Severson in the early books. But now I've got Chris Morgan over at Tor for the Child of Mad God, and he gets exactly what I'm trying to do and is helping me get there. And I've got David over at Harper Collins, who's absolutely fantastic. So I've been really lucky with editors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been really lucky on that front. Um, so we got it done. Nice. And Harper Collins is publishing it, and... I can't wait for it to be out there. The book is a ton of fun. Most thing, I, the most I wanted out of this book is if, for somebody who'd never read Dritz but had heard about it to be able to pick up a book and go, "Hey, that was fun." Yeah, and that's what I think you get out of these books is that's fun. Nice. And the story moves forward as well. But um, I'm 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 thinking a lot of people who maybe stopped reading Dritz, you know, ten years ago, whatever, will go. I'll try this, and they'll be able to follow the story easily enough. And we'll just have a good time again. Maybe remember what it was like to be that teenage kid sitting at the D and D table. Yeah. That's always my goal when I write a Dreads book. So I want to bring you in time. So you, it's captured that magic of before Wizards was jumping around pretty much because of the different versions. I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 I mean, the books were great. I enjoyed every one of them. But there, you could kind of feel that there were some th- things where it seemed like your hand was forced and you had to jump. You know, especially, uh, you know, Gontel, no, Spellplague, Spellplague, where things just seemed to jump quite yeah. a bit. It was the, there was the transition series and the Neverwinter series. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, because there were a lot of competing forces. Yeah. 
Uh, and what I mean by competing forces, I mean that the new reality is that Wizards is pretty much a licensing house for computer games, things like they had to get everything on the right pages for that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to get into whether I liked fourth edition or whether I thought it was the right move or not <laughs> before. Um, the, the bottom line is that when you're working in a shared world, you're one person working in a world that's bigger than you. And if yeah. you don't think of it that way, you shouldn't be doing it. So, you know, we'll see. I think we sorted everything out. It took a long time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're pat right now. They're, it, it seems like with fifth edition, um, everybody I know who's even looked at the game has loved it. Um, with fifth edition, with some of the computer games that they're doing. And now with the book line that, you know, with the Dritz books continuing with me, it seems like everything's on a pretty even keel again. Yeah. It feels it feels good. It feels comfortable again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like you said earlier, I was definitely one of the people like, this is it. This is the end. No, it can't be the end with Hero. So seeing the announcement of Timeless, I'm like, yes, I was excited. And then to see it was Jarlaxle Jarl and Zach Nathane, oh my gosh. That was just seemed to be the perfect place to continue. Hero was a fitting end, though. I it, think it would have been a fitting end. It was a good end. It was just the fact that I. It was like there's not going to be any more stories. You I know, mean, it was Hero was supposed to come with a soundtrack, though. Oh. At the very last page, it was supposed to stop playing. Don't stop believing. Oh yeah. That would have been perfect. Just go to black. Yeah, that would have <laughs> been perfect. It's supposed to be black. <laughs> I just rewatched The Sopranos, and I love that ending. Yeah. No, that would have been a perfect way, because then Dritz goes on adventures in your mind type situation. Yep. Yeah. Or Tony Soprano gets shot in the back of the head. Or that. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully Dritz doesn't get shot in the back of the head. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so there's definitely more stories for, of Dritz to come, because you're writing the second one. Uh, do you ever foresee a point where you'll stop? writing Dritz, or is it just gonna you're gonna retire and it's gonna go to Gino? Uh, no, I don't think it would go to Gino. Okay. Um, I, I think that it, it it could happen. I think it could happen. I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all getting older, yep. Uh, I'm old. I'm not just getting older. <laughs> um, and I, I can see a time when I'll just say enough is enough and, and you know, I've got four grandkids now, a fifth one coming. Um, but you know, if I like doing it and people want to read it, it's not a bad thing. No, I, I mean, what am I going to do? Go play cribbage? I mean, I like cribbage, but I can't play it twenty four hours a day. Yeah. Um, I like EverQuest, but I play EverQuest while I'm writing. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I do. EverQuest is my writer's aid. Don't you know that? Yeah. I go and camp monster, and he spawns every twenty minutes. So I have a. I timer set on my phone. I kill the monster, see if he gets the loot I need. Yeah. And I set my clock, and I go and type for 20 minutes. My alarm goes off. I come back up, and I fight the monster again. And then that's how I play. Hey, that if, if that's your thing, that works. I mean, it everyone has up, their own thing. It breaks up my day. Yeah. Wow. Play, play EverQuest? Right. That That's perfect. Man, I, I need to get my writing to a point where I can do that. I, I still have the day job. It, yeah, it's... As long as I can still get the time I need... See, you don't travel as much anymore as a writer either. Yeah. That's the other thing. I think it was really airing people out with the book tours. Now social media are way out if you let it. Yeah. I'm trying not to let it. 
Um, but I, you know, I go to a couple of conventions. I'm a guest of honor at San Diego Comic Con this year and at New York Comic Con. But that's two weekends. Yeah, it used to be a book tour would be would be two weeks, and you'd be on the plane every day. I just can't do that anymore. I just I I mean I probably could if I had to, but I really don't want to. Yeah. And anymore, I love the book signings themselves when I'm at the store and people are there. I'm meeting the people that read the books and we're, we're sharing game stories and we're just having a good time. I love that. I, yeah. I love that. Gamers. But the getting there, the plane ride, the plane ride, the hotel rooms, the away from my family, that gets old fast. But you don't have to do that anymore. They don't want you to do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing a signing today. It's the first signing I've done since February, other than a convention. I'm going down to um, do a signing. It won't be today when people are hearing this, but today when we're doing it. Um, I think it's important that you get out there and do them. But for a while there, I was doing a lot. And it'll weigh you down. Yeah. No, I never. I I just have an online store and people that want signed books just order them there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years ago, you know, seeing you uh, on several signing tours, and you know, you'd go to the page, and there'd be fifteen, twenty stops, and you know, I couldn't imagine doing that. That that had to be rough. Um, I remember once there was a a friend of mine, a writer. He had a big franchise book coming out, so it was in somebody else's world. Yeah. I'm not going to get into who it was because I don't want to embarrass him. <laughs> But he was going on this huge tour, and I had just been on a similar tour, and I knew what it was going to be like for him. He was so excited. He was, like, dancing. And About three weeks into the tour, he came to Boston, so I decided to drive out and see him. He saw me, and he just wrapped me in, like, the biggest hug and was sobbing. Oh, my God, this is terrible. <laughs> they had a hard time getting him back on the plane for weeks three and four. Oh, um, it is exhausting. Yeah. But he, it's the same thing. It's exhausting, but you love it. But there's so much pressure because you're sitting there in the afternoon. Is anybody going to be there tonight? Is it going to be embarrassing? Is it? Is it going to be too crowded? Am I going to get home in time to make the flight? Am I going to do the, You know, it's just constant pressure. Yeah. Some people really love it. Other people like me get old fast doing it. Well, I'm sure but, at first it's fun, but then, like you said, it gets old and No, actually, and at first it's awful. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, because when you first start out, many times you go into the store and there's nobody there. Okay. And everybody at the store is embarrassed. Yeah. So you're embarrassed, and you got to try to <laughs> you got to try to make lemon out of the lemonade out of these lemons. Because yes. nobody's there. I remember I went on my first book tour. My first flight for a book tour took me to Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is a college girls' town. Okay. Okay. A girls' college town, I should say. All right. Um, and to this brand new Barnes and Noble, that had just this huge Barnes and Noble. My first ever book signing that I didn't drive to, or wasn't at Gen Con. Okay. Convention, which is a captive audience. You're always going to have a good signing at yeah. those places. So I go in there. It's the night that Murphy Brown had her baby. Uh, on TV. Yeah. It was the television event of the decade. Uh, yeah. There were three people in the store, and they all worked there. Oh. The fourth guy came in, grilled me for an hour, and didn't buy a book. It was <laughs> it was horrifying. Yeah, that would be tough. Because, you know, as a writer, you've always got this pretender to the throne syndrome. Yeah. 
Because when you're writing a book and you're with a book for six months, and then you got to go back and read it again for the editor, and then you got to go back and read it again for the copy of it, and then you get to read it one more time for typesetting. Yep. At some point in that process, every single writer will get to the come to the conclusion that why would anyone ever want to read this? You know, when you're reading a book and you know everything that's about to happen, it's not as exciting. Yeah. So you're not in the place the reader is going through it. So every writer thinks at some point, this sucks. <laughs> yes. Why would anyone read this? And then you go to a book signing and it validates that because nobody's there. <laughs> I, I can get that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean... You... That doesn't happen to me anymore. Well, that's good. That's good. I said that, so it's going to happen today. Why? <laughs> You know, it, you're right. I mean, you, you you spent time on this book, and there are moments, more often than not, that you are like, this sucks. Why am I even doing this? No one's going to want to read this. It is validating when people are like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. It makes, you know, kind of makes you sure. feel uplifted. And, you know, then you read reviews, and then you feel like crap. You know, so, yeah. Or, uh, or people don't show up. It's amazing to me because Publishers Weekly absolutely trashed Child of a Mad God. And every other site, Booklist, Library Journal, loved it, starred reviews. Yeah. And But Publishers Weekly, who usually love everything I do, huh. tracks it. Wow. It's, that's, I've gotten the worst reviews and the best reviews on the same book. Yeah. This is, and what I think is the best book, one of the best books I've ever written. It would certainly be in the top five. If I had to pick my five favorite books, this one would be in every list I would ever make, no matter what mood I was in. It's a book called Mortalis. Yeah. It's one of my least selling books ever. Huh, that's a great book, too. Yeah, I, I, you don't, you can't make sense out of it. Yeah. And the human mind is such that if you go to Amazon and you've got, you know, 500 reviews and a 4.8, Average or yeah. something. Those one star reviews can kill you if you don't have perspective on them. Yeah, because you read you read hundred really great reviews and then this really terrible review and that's the one you believe mm-hmm. as a writer. Yeah, it, it's it's a sickness. I'm telling you, it took me years <laughs> and years. And actually, a lawyer friend, a judge friend, actually, to get past it because I had I had written Vector Prime. Yeah, and yeah, that's a tough one. When Vector Prime came out, there were a group of people who chased me all over the internet, giving one-star reviews to anything I ever did. Ouch. Uh, they hated me because of Chewy. Yeah. Hated me. And I was at a New Year's Eve party. It was the millennial New Year's Eve, 1999. I know that's not technically the millennial, but I don't want to get into that. But 1999, <laughs> I just lost my brother. I was in the worst place of my life. And a friend of mine, Charlie, came up to me and he, he says, what the hell's the matter with you? I said, ah, I'm just not in a good mood. And he said, what's going on? And I was talking about it. And one of the things I was doing then is I was dwelling on the negativity that was coming back at me. Yeah. And I tell him about these, these reviews I got on this book from these people. And he, and he started laughing and he goes, you're telling a lawyer that people say bad things about you. Oh, poor you. <laughs> and I kind of put, put things in perspective when he said that. And then he said to me, he said, Bob, don't you understand that? Probably a third of the money they give you, if the publishers give you, they give you because you're giving people something to bitch about. Huh. Because for a lot of people, that's entertainment. 
That's true. I didn't think of it that way. And it completely changed my perspective, and now I just laugh. And that was, you know, that was 18 years ago. He freed me. Yeah. He freed me just by giving me a different perspective on things. No, that's a great one, uh, especially since he's a lawyer. And he didn't bill you for it. <laughs> true. He's a judge. Oh, he probably judge. couldn't legally bill me for yeah, it. Yeah, that works. You know those lawyers. Yes. But, um... No, I mean, that is that is a great perspective to have on anything. I mean, even beyond writing. I know a lot of artists, you know, they'll paint something or draw something and they're super critical because of small mistake, but that mistake or imperfection is actually what makes it valuable in most cases. So, yeah. You know, I, I once had a chance to rewrite when Echoes of the Fourth Magic is the first book I ever wrote. Yeah. And I was, how old was I when I wrote that? Twenty. 324 when I wrote that I had very little formal training I had very little writing experience but I wrote the book yeah. it was based on a short story I had done in high school and the book got published after Crystal Shard because now I'm a writer and I'm on the sell bestseller lists here and there and somebody wanted the book and took it and I remember when the book went out of print I got it back and Del Rey bought it because they were doing Demon Wars. Yeah. They wanted, they said they, they would do that one and they bought the sequel that I had done and they wanted me to do the third book and finish the trilogy. So they bought Echoes and they bought The Witch's Daughter and I finished it with Bastion of Darkness. And they said, do you want to rewrite Echoes? You know, you wrote this book at the time, it was like 15 or 13 years ago. The world is a very different place. The genre is very different now. Would you like to rewrite it? And I went back and looked at it, and there were places where I groaned out loud because you grow as a person, you yeah. grow as a writer. But I didn't rewrite it. And the reason I didn't rewrite it was because a book to me is a snapshot in time. Yeah. And yes, there are things that were in the Echoes of the Fourth Magic book that I would never have written about in the mid-90s and certainly wouldn't write about now. It takes place in the Bermuda Triangle. Who the hell talked about the Bermuda Triangle anymore? Yeah. But at the time I wrote it, there was this show called In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. And they talked about the Bermuda Triangle. Nice. And it was there were books all over the place about the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I, I remember so, it growing up as a kid. Could I, could I rewrite the book? Yeah. Is that fair? No, because that even fiction novels, whether they sell 50 copies or 5 million copies, are a snapshot in time of the culture of the time. Yeah. So it's not fair. It's not fair to somebody who wants to look at the evolution of a writer to change your early work to match up with your later work. Yeah. It's not fair to people who want to see what the world was like when the book was written to change it to the sensibilities of now. I mean, if I went back and rewrote The Crystal Shard, there would be many more women in it. They would be much more prominent. There would be much more intricate intimate and important discussions of race in it. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't then represent 1987. Yeah. Or where I was in 1987. So I think that's cheating. So I don't do it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Hollywood doesn't agree with you on that. That's why we're getting reboots of MacGyver and Magnum P.I. and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Which, You're getting reboots because they're cheap. Well, I know they're, they're cheap, cheap and they're easy, but I, I have to agree that snapshot, you know, 
Magnum P.I. with Tom Selleck is classic, and now the new one we're getting, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I haven't seen it. I saw the new Hawaii Five-O, yeah. and I watched it a few times and said, Diane, you know, Hawaii is my favorite place in the world. Yeah. I said, Diane, we're never going back to Hawaii. Too many people die there. <laughs> um, the body count in that show was off the charts. Yeah, and it's a small it, island. It, Detectives, the detectives routinely would run out in the middle of a busy street and just open up on cars driving away and bullets flying everywhere. And um, then there was one we just zip lined in Maui last time we were there, and I, there was one where somebody was sab- had sabotaged the zip line to kill someone. That's it. I'm not zip lining in Maui anymore. This place, <laughs> back to Hawaii. This place is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel about New York. I mean, almost. Every cop drama is in New York, and it's, yeah. 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 But, anyway. All right. Well, I know you got to get going, but, yeah. So, Timeless comes out in September, on September 2nd, if I remember the date correctly. I think they changed it. It I think it was supposed to be later in the month, but they moved it forward to the first week in September. It's coming. It's coming fast. And then Child of Mad God is already out there, so people can pick up a copy now. It's an audio, ebook, and physical copy. Yeah, I I, I tell you, if you've ever been curious about my Demon War series, Child of Mad God is that would also be in my top five five favorite books. Nice. I think my top five favorite books will be at this point, and I I haven't made a judgment on Timeless yet. I want to see if I did every if I did everything I think I did in it, then that will go there. But um, not in any order. But uh, the Highwayman, Child of a Mad God, Mortalis, Homeland, and the Companions. Nice. I think might be my, and I might change one of those and add in Hero, which was the last Dritz book of the Legend of Dritz series. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, Child of Mad God. If you like my stuff, you should like that book. Yeah. I, I feel like I nailed it on that one. No, I've enjoyed it so far. I've been listening to the audiobook. It's been great. Yeah, Tim's fantastic. Yeah. Tim Garagnell's the reader. He's fantastic. Definitely not Victor. He did the Highwayman Highway as well. Yeah. I mean, did, in fact, he did all seven of the Demon Wars books as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yep. I mean, he's definitely not Victor, but he he is doing a great job. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Victor's pretty cool with Dreads, though. Yeah. I like Victor Dreads. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Timeless coming out, and then the next thing after that will be the sequel to Child of a Mad God. I'd tell you the title, but we're still arguing about it. That's okay. <laughs> um, but it'll be the secret. Uh, the sequel to Child of a Mad God will be out probably January, February next year. Nice. And then the sequel to Timeless will be out in the fall of next year. So, and that's what I'm working on now. And then the if I can make a if I can make a quick plug. Sure. Um, anybody that ever wants signed books, uh, autographed, personally autographed, you know, so to Joe, happy birthday, whatever. Um, check out Ra Salva's store. Dot com, which is my bad dad joke name for my okay. wife's online my wife's on, online store. Uh, we have a lot of out of print copies and older books as well. Um, you know, so there's, there's that since I'm not going on book tours anymore. Yeah. That, or not that often anymore. And uh, yeah, so onward and upward. And and again, San Diego Comic Con in July. I'll be there, and I'll be in New York in I think it's October for nice. New York. Yeah, I'll be in San Diego for Comic Con as well, so yeah. that'll be fun. Now, I've been a few years, I'm prepared to be overwhelmed again. I'm sure. 
It, it's it's crazy. Now I got a handler this time because I'm a guest of honor, so I have a handler nice. and I have my own spotlight panel, and it should be a lot of fun. Harper Voyager is going to be there, of course, because it's for timeless, and uh, they're going to be giving away the arcs for timeless, the the advanced reading copies. Nice. That's that's yeah. great. Very nice. Now, question: Because of the store, do you still have like the battle hammer hats and uh, baseball jerseys, or are those all gone? Uh, we got new ones. We got new, new uniforms this nice. year, and I, uh, the hats we may have. Um, they have the, but we changed. I changed it to the foaming mug on the hat. Nice. It's got the foaming mug shield. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, the ones. My team is using Baltimore Orioles colors this year. Okay. Um. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I knew whatever team I used would suck. <laughs> it's just the luck of me. Even though we're undefeated, we're ten and zero and kicking butt. Yeah. Um, but and I don't. I knew. I thought the Orioles were actually going to be a threat this year, so I, I said, "Let's use their colors, so they'll suck." And they <laughs> suck. But what's going to kill me is I don't look good in pinstripes, and that's going to have to be next as a Red Sox fan. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> But no, yeah. So we're gonna have the hats. The shirts are hard. It's hard to do shirts unless you're printing them yourself because you have to decide what sizes you want. Oh, that's true. And so if you have to buy like six different size shirts, and then people want to buy them, but you don't have their size, or you run out of one, but you've got ten of this other one left. Yeah. And so it's very hard to sell. So that's why most people do it through like the print to order places like Cafe Press or whatever, and they they do all the Dritz pirate shirts. And yes, ninety nine percent of the Dritz shirts you see are pirated. They're not licensed. They're people making a buck without paying the people they're supposed to be paying. But whatever. Um, yeah, if Hasbro wanted more of them, they'd do them themselves. I don't. I don't. I don't really get into that. Yeah. One way or the I'm not getting into that debate. Um, but Clan Battlehammer, I got permission to do that stuff. So for my team, and I was got permission to sell them nice. small. Yeah, store, yeah. So. No, that's awesome. So everyone, go out, pick up a copy of Child of a Mad God. If you haven't read any of Bob's other stuff, go ahead and pick up Homeland. That's a great place to start with uh, the Dark Hill yeah. series and a fantastic book. Um, go to R.A. Salva store. And you can pick up a copy that's signed. That's even better than just going to your local Barnes and Noble. So that Barnes and Noble's good too. <laughs> they are, they are, but you don't get it personalized. Always good too. My first, one of my first book signings every year because I live in California for half the year now. Yeah. As uh, Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego. Oh, I, I love that store. I love that store. And and actually, I have a Barnes and Noble in Manhattan Beach, right next to where I live, and they're fantastic, as well. So, yeah. any bookstores, friends of me, and if you can't afford a book, use your library. That's what they're there for. Yeah. You know, right. for years I sat on the board of trustees of my local library, and it was incredibly fulfilling. Nice. So, All right. There you go. Well, there you go, guys. Um, so I'm gonna let you go because I know you got to get going, and you have that signing later. So everyone. Uh, Ari Salvatore, go check out one of his books if you haven't already. And with that said, we'll catch you next time. Take care. You're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Please subscribe and follow them on Facebook or Twitter, pages. No, we're even promoting these filthy idiots. Who doesn't like them? Who doesn't like anyone? Our friends, brothers, our friends. No, shut up. Please subscribe.